0: It's rare to find a gift that you know everyone on your list will love. That's what you get with an incredibly soft blanket from Minky Couture. With hundreds of different styles and sizes of Minky Couture blankets, you'll find a gift that they are sure to love every single day of the year. Shop the best deals of the season at MinkyCouture.com.
1: This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. and o's of all things fantasy
2: Welcome in, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening and/or watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Streaming to you live on social media at BaileyUpMDFF Show. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel when you get the opportunity to do so at the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We got a great show in store for you guys here today. Of course, we got the Thursday night recap and the late window of week eight matchup previews to go over for you guys. Talk about the betting lines, talk about the Fantasy sports data we have for you, and of course, as always, I'm your host Dan Mater. Make sure checking out belly at sports.com We'll have the rankings updated throughout the weekend, so you guys get the edge when setting your lineups and get an idea on where these guys are valued out, where our heads at as far as what to expect from fantasy output this week. Now, let's kick things off, shall we? With what we usually do, and hit off with the injury segment of the games of which we went over in Wednesday night. I'm used to saying yesterday, but today we're doing a special time here uh, for this particular episode. So it was Wednesday night. And of course you can check us out in your favorite pod streaming app at iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you like to go. But let's check out those games and make sure you check out that episode later on.
0: Breaking news.
2: So let's update you with the injury news from those games that we talked about and previewed already. First up, this is a new addition to the injury report. That was Corey Davis. He's got a hip issue. A couple of hip issues that popped up in the injury report yesterday. Him and Austin Eckler. We'll talk about Austin Eckler later on in the show. But yeah, Corey Davis says it's not looking good for Sunday against Cincinnati Bengals. So if you're leaning on Corey Davis as a wide receiver three in that territory, and that's where we actually had him ranked as of now, Uh, I don't think you're probably going to be able to use him. I don't think it's a big love loss here. I mean, look, if you could get away with not having to use Corey Davis, I'm sure you would rather do so. If you had to use him, then you're already in desperate straits as it was. Maybe a Darius Slayton's available for you guys. Maybe a Khalif Raymond is out there for you guys. Just a couple of names off the top of my head that may be available. You want to go ahead and check out to replace a Corey Davis this particular week to have Similar fantasy value to what we were expecting out of him with a Mike White at quarterback. Maybe we see a little bit of Josh Johnson, but there's going to be no Joe Flacco until next week because he could not join the team until Friday of this week. So they're not going to activate him for this game. It sounds like it sounds like it's going to be Mike White and Josh Johnson for that game. So not a ton of value to go around. And what does this do for Jameson Crowder? Does it make him the lone target on the team? Yeah, sure. Maybe PPR in a desperate PPR standpoint as a wide receiver three of flex play if you don't have a lot of options, but there's going to be no ceiling to that game. And frankly, this thing is setting up for the Jets to run to an absolute buzzsaw against what is, I'll continue to say it, an underrated Cincinnati Bengal defense heading into this matchup. So I would say you find other options than James Crowder, even if he is the number one target in this game. Devontae Parker is still questionable, still practicing in limited capacity. We might find out more today, and we'll keep you up to date, obviously, on social media if you follow us, at Baileyup MDFF Show, We'll try to keep you up to date, but right now it, say, it sounds like Parker might have a decent chance to suit up. That's what it sounds like. So Parker, again, he's in that wide receiver three range for us. I believe he came in at wide receiver 31, somewhere in that territory. An option you can kind of go with, but I don't love the matchup for him coming back off the hamstring injury. So again, another guy who maybe has a floor, has a volume expectancy, but not somebody who has a tough ceiling. If you you know, need a home run pop or something like that, you might be looking for another option. Trey Lance, of course, is questionable. He's been practicing with a, a knee sprain. He in and in of himself is not fantasy relevant this week, regardless, because we know it's going to be Jimmy G, the quarterback. But keep an eye on this game. If the 49ers cannot beat the Chicago Bears, there is a decent chance here that we may see Trey Lance start sooner rather than later. We may see Trey Lance start sooner rather than later, regardless of the outcome in this game, quite frankly. When I say that in that case, it's a few weeks away, maybe. But keep an eye on that. Trey Lance is a stash quarterback. If you're somebody who's been streaming quarterbacks all season long and you're looking for somebody who's going to have some fantasy value, the one thing that got proven to us in that Arizona game before they went on by was that he's definitely going to run. And the offense is definitely going to be a pistol RPO baseline offense. So make sure you go over there and pick him up and stash him because he'll have a base floor when it comes to fantasy football. If he gives you anything through the air, he'll probably be hovering around that top 12 territory as a result of that. Debo didn't practice on Wednesday with the calf issue. Did come back to practice on Thursday. We were a little bit worried about this because Debo has a long history of calf injuries. Soft tissue injuries in general, making him miss games. But it sounds like this one was truly just to give him a Wednesday off, truly just a precaution because, from what I understand, he came out and practiced in full on a Thursday. So he should be good to go. Nothing to worry about there. George Kittle, just a little update there. He's expected back next week. So that's good news. You've been holding on to him, been waiting for your top five tight end. And that's what he is now. He's a top five tight end. He's not a top three tight end. Why? This 49ers offense is not performing very well. In fact, them scoring over 20 points has been a bit of a struggle for them this season. And they don't utilize George Kittle in the red zone. So until that changes, until George Kittle is finally going to be utilized as the weapon he should be, he's only a top five tight end. He's not a top three tight end. That would go to Kelsey Pitts, Andrews Waller. And then I would place George Kittle. That's where he makes my top five cutoff. That's unfortunate, but still a very valuable asset on his way back. We expect him back next week. Nick Chubb has been on his way to return. He's been practicing limited capacity. The narrative around him the entire week is that he's going to return. He comes in at RB14 for us on this week. Kind of just using some caution. It's a tough matchup, first of all, against Pittsburgh Steelers. But using some caution that his first game back off the calf injury, he may not be you know full go, full slate. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe Dearness Johnson does have a bit more of that Kareem Hunt role than we would anticipate. So that's the only reason why he comes outside of my top twelve. But in what I think they hope to have happen is that Dick Chubb is pretty close to 100, and he gets a heavy, heavy workload I guess the Steelers defense. That while is good, is still not the in is not still not the invulnerable defense that it was a season ago. There have been games where you can run on the Steelers so far this season. So I would expect Nick Chubb to have some success, especially if he gets plus 20 carries. He's getting all the red zone looks. He's going to be a very safe value play. And I wouldn't be surprised if he finished inside the top 12. He's on his way back. We have, we have a lot of Browns news, honestly. OBJ, he's questionable. practicing in a limited capacity. And Jarvis Landry. Also came back to practice. Well, actually, yeah, he didn't practice Wednesday. Did come back to practice in limited capacity on Thursday. Made a comment saying that he's definitely going to play on Sunday. We'll see if that's the case. But I don't know that it matters. Oh, we're getting some news right now. We're getting some news right now off the jump.
0: Breaking news.
2: So, while we're talking about the injury news, we get some more breaking news. And the Philadelphia Eagles have just placed Miles Sanders on the injury reserve, which means he is out for at least three games. Now, they expect him to be back as soon as that three game stint is over, but that means Kenneth Gainwell now more than just a one week wonder, him and Boston Scott. He is now has some value for the next three games. So, big news there, especially if you were able to get Kenneth Gainwell and maybe to a lesser degree. Boston Scott. We're still going to be watching this Sunday, obviously, to see how this whole thing shakes down with the rotation between the two. We are expecting Boston Scott to maybe lead a little bit in the way of carries, but Kenneth Gainwell should have a stronghold on his receiving game, and because Boston Scott's nothing special in his own right, and from a skill set standpoint, is it much different than a Kenneth Gainwell? I wouldn't be surprised if we see a 50-50 split when it comes to the carries. We'll get that more sorted out on Sunday, but Kenneth Gainwell is the running back that I would prefer to own in that situation for sure heading into this week. And now for the next three weeks is going to have some value with that news coming out. Baker Mayfield getting back to the Browns injury report, Baker Mayfield practicing limited capacity. Sounds like he's going to try to be able to give it a go. Now I don't know if this matters between OBJ and Jarvis Landry, their injuries, Baker Mayfield and his injuries, or whether it was going to be case Keenum. It does not matter. On paper against the Steelers, yeah, the wide receivers have been putting up fantasy points, but not in this situation. First of all, we know this team's built against the for, or not built against, but built for the run, first and foremost. And Baker Mayfield's not playing well with his torn shoulder. Yes, it's not his throwing shoulder, but the problem is the pain clearly is screwing up his fundamentals. And as a result of that, he's not being as accurate as he normally would be. Him and OBJ continue to not be on the same page, no matter what the situation presents itself to be. And Jarvis Landry is a guy who's PPR-wise, maybe. He comes in as a wide receiver. He's in my 40 range. He's a wide receiver four. OBJ is a wide receiver five. If I can avoid using anybody altogether, as far as a Browns pass catcher goes, including the tight ends, I would do so. There's no reason to play any of them. None. I know it's crazy Jarvis Landry and the OBJ that their names are, but these are not guys who are suited to put up fantasy points. And Baker Mayfield has been so horrendous, and I do think he's actually going to be able to give it a go on Sunday that you can't trust anything. And even with Case Keenum, we know what Keenum's going to do. He's going to game manage his way. He's going to not lose the game. That's what he's going to do. So that means Jarvis Landry, does he get five receptions, six receptions? Quite possibly. Are they for more than 35 yards, 40 yards? That's the problem. And that's why these guys are not fantasy relevant in my book. I would avoid them at all costs. T.Y. Hilton, the narrative around him is that they still think he's going to be able to give it a go. But from what I understand, he's still very limited in practice, if practicing at all. So today's actually going to be the big day to kind of dictate whether T.Y. Hilton is going to be available. If he is, he is a boomer bus wide receiver for it. And, I mean, I'll say this and we're just talking about the Browns wide receivers. I definitely would play T Y Hilton against the Tennessee Titans over anybody on the Browns. As far as pass catchers go, he's going to be a boomer bust option. He'll have a low floor. Of course, he always has the history of lighting up the AFC South opponents. Lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky,
0: lucky in line at the deli, I guess, in my dentist's office, more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car
1: before my kid's PTA meeting.
0: Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: I never win and tell.
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited
2: by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we said this before. I said this during the 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 matchup previews during the first uh, w- early window slate of games on Wednesday night. Again, go back and check it out in your favorite pod streaming app. But don't, please don't read too much into the Tennessee Titans only giving up three points against the Kansas City Chiefs. That was Kansas City Chief inflicted. That was self-inflicted by Mahomes and Andy Reid and Tyree Hill having drops that are uncharacteristic to him as well. That was self-inflicted. That was not the Tennessee Titans figuring out, you know, cracking the code, getting this the engagement, you know, the recipe to the secret sauce to figuring out their defense to play better. It's not what that was. Their defense is still terrible, still awful. So don't read too much into it when you're looking at, you know, matchups against Tennessee Titans and somehow their defense is better than what it is. No. the still a defense you should be able to take advantage of. TY Hilton could be one of those guys if he comes back. We saw right away against Houston Texans, his first game back. He was the leader in targets. Not again, not saying much. It was four to three, but he was a leader in targets. And he had a big play against the Houston Texans. Carson Wentz looked for him down the field. That's what we expect. We expect him to be in situations to be given bombs. And Wentz trying to use him to help open up what is otherwise a very contained to the line of scrimmage Colts offense. And we expect that to open up if T.Y. Hilton can play. So a guy who I think is of some interest this week. If he is able to go. We should know more after today's practice report. So follow us along on social media. At Show. We'll keep you up to date. And Tyrod Taylor. Still trending towards returning this week. Has been practicing. From so far. Has not had a setback. Which from my understanding was as long as he does not have a setback. He would be expected to be able to play this week. The only reason you care about that is for Brandon Cooks' sake because Davis Mills is so bad he can't even get the ball he can't even get the ball down the field at all he has no idea what he's reading out there he's a terrible quarterback as a result you have Brandon Cooks getting these catches five yards around the line of scrimmage and is screwing up what should be a pretty good fantasy value a pretty at least if nothing else a good fantasy floor he still continues to lead the way in targets but a guy with that kind of volume on a team that's always coming back from behind should have a higher floor than what we've seen the last three weeks. The reason being, Davis Mills has been awful a quarterback. So if Tyrod Taylor comes back, at least you know you have an actual NFL professional quarterback there to throw Brandon Cooks the ball will raise Brandon Cooks' value up a bit more because now he'll have a floor of a low-end wide receiver, too. And because he is talented in his own right, hopefully he'll be able to give you some fantasy value back in return. I'll give you a quick update. Baker Mayfield is practicing again. It seems like they're trying, he's trending towards actually playing this week. Again, all you care about is Nick Chubb. For as good as the Browns are, <laughs> fantasy-wise, I only care about the running game. Care about Nick Chubb. I want to see how they use the Ernest Johnson. And that is it. That's do it. That does it for the injury report for the early window of games that we previewed on Wednesday night. Again, if you did not. If you catch that episode, go back, check it out on your favorite podcast streaming app. And now we can continue with the Thursday night recap. So I had a couple notes here for the uh, Thursday night game. Now, first and foremost, of course, it was a great, ba- it was a great game by the Green Bay Packers. They went 24-21. They knocked off an undefeated team. Now they go 7-1 at the same record as the Arizona Cardinals. No Devontae Adams, no Alan Lazard, no Marquez Valdez-Scantling, no Joe Barry, their defensive coordinator, because he was out due to COVID as well. And they still found a way to win this game. So I want to make sure they get credit where credit is due. However, I have a note here about LaFleur and the Packers, and really just an observation in the NFL in general. Why does it take losing all of your superstar players for coaches to coach. You ever notice this? When you have you have a, a matchup coming up, and all of a sudden one team, they lose you know, a key vital offensive player, whether it be a wide receiver or running back, maybe even a quarterback, because we can talk about the Cleveland Browns too. They fall into this category as part of why I'm making this observation. Why is it when your back is against the wall, all of a sudden coaches have this, creative game plan to try to move the chains and it winds up working out the browns won without baker mayfield i guess the denver broncos on a thursday night on a short week they had no quarterback they had two very banged up wide receivers and their two top running backs are gone and yet the game plan was different than it would have been if those guys were playing how is it different in that case it was different because they actually utilized case keenum As a West Coast quarterback. Which they should be doing for Baker Mayfield. What I mean by that is. They're utilizing the run game to set up the passing game. They had play action. They had him on bootlegs. They were making easy reads. Scheming guys to get open in the middle of the field. A little more easier. Now they didn't put up a gaudy stat line of course. They won that game 17-14. to But the point is this. Case Keenum looked solid. But the game plan was good was creative it helped make sure that it put their guys who are limited in their talents in that game because they're pretty much a jv squad out there in situations to succeed why don't they do that when they have their normal starters last night's game green bay packers they had no devontae adams you had no alan Lazard. you had no marquez valdez scantling you're leaning on randall cobb and a bunch of young receivers, St. Brown, Amari Rodgers. Guys that haven't played much, haven't been utilized much. So you make sure that you are game planning them open. You have to get creative in your coaching scheme. You have to actually have a game plan. Both games, by the way, Thursday night games. Games in which I've always been told it's too hard to put a particular game plan together, so usually they just run what they run. With maybe a couple of wrinkles specified for the opponent that they're playing that night. Well, I saw Matt LaFleur come out with a better game plan than I've seen him come out all season long. And I know the Packers have been winning, but they've been struggling offensively. And while they had put up a ton of points in this game, the game plan, the play calling, was special. It was. Because they made the best out of what they had and able to get guys against a very good defense open when they needed them to be. Why don't you do that when you have Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard out there? It's not just LaFleur. It's not just the Cleveland Browns not Kevin Stefanski. I know this time and time and time again, where coaches seemingly get lazy with the game plan, get lazy with the play calling when they have their starters that they key in on out there. But then when their backs up were against the wall because of injury, all of a sudden now, they come up with all these creative ways to get guys open or to play to their strengths to hide their weaknesses because they're not as good. And as a result, a team sometimes will wind up playing better when they have key players hurt. I just don't get why you don't do it when you have your star players out there. So that was the one note. The other note, of course, Kyler Murray was limping at the end of that game. He did look pretty banged up. I don't know if it was a knee issue. It looked like on the one-run play, kind of came down on his knee. It might have been a knee. It might have been an ankle. Something we will have to watch heading into next week. Now they have the 10 days off, so they get a little bit of extra rest time. So that's the good news on that front. But even if he's banged up a bit and he's able to play, one of the big things about Kyler Murray's value, of course, comes from his legs. If that's not going to be there, then we have some concern on our hands wasn't great from a fantasy perspective last night. Only 21 yards on the ground, 274 yards through the air. No touchdowns, none rushing, none passing, and had the two interceptions. Of course, the game-ending interception as well. But we're going to have to watch that injury moving forward. So yeah, this was a, a hugely disappointing performance, especially when you consider the Green Bay Packers defense has not been very good, especially against you know fantasy terms throughout this season. And suddenly they showed up in a big way when they needed them to last night. But we'll have to watch that because, again, we can go back to last year when Murray injured his shoulder. If he has an injury that makes him not want to run as much, and we haven't been seeing him run as much the last few weeks, his fantasy value does dip to a lower-end QB1 instead of being in the top five. You need that rushing ability. He hasn't been rushing for as many touchdowns this year because he's been handing them all off to James Conner. It's been working, by the way. Another two-touchdown performance last night on five carries for the game. The Cardinals didn't have the ball very often throughout this game. I'll say this. When they did have the ball, they scored the majority of the time. But the Packers made sure they controlled the clock and, and the game as a result. DeAndre Hopkins, he's dealing with some injuries, obviously. Comes in two catches, 66 yards. But when he got that 55-yarder, which really should have been a score, but had the penalty, when he got that play, Clearly, he reaggravated the hamstring injury on that play. Now, he tried to tough it out. He came in for a couple of snaps here and there throughout the second half. But this is also something you're going to have to watch pretty closely heading into next week. I'd almost... Look, DeAndre Hopkins is a tough dude. And because he was able to come in here and there throughout the game, it gives me some hope that with the extra couple days off until next week, he might be able to go. But I'd be a bit concerned about DeAndre Hopkins and his injuries moving forward. And in fact, if I was a Hopkins owner, which I'm actually surprisingly not, but if I was a Hopkins owner in one of my leagues, I would probably prefer it if he would just take some time off. Because if he keeps going out there and keeps putting himself at risk of reaggravating, his fantasy value is going to go down through the toilet. Because you're going to have to deal with him going in and out constantly with the injuries, possibly getting knocked out of a game eventually. So it would be better for Hopkins if he could just sit back and rest it. I wouldn't be surprised he doesn't practice at all next week. Now, of course, that with Hopkins, that doesn't mean he won't play. But I won't be surprised if he doesn't practice. Something we have to watch there, too. In his absence, A.J. Green was the lead target of the day. Eight targets, five receptions, 50 yards. But last night, I saw something that confirms for me why I believe A.J. Green is going to get... I shouldn't say replaced or benched, but fall down in the rotation order as far as snap count goes when it comes to Christian Kirk and Down, more eventually. I don't know if he was dealing with some sort of injury, but he looked winded. I don't know what's wrong. at, At this point, we're at the halfway point in the season. So there's really no reason why he shouldn't be in shape at this point. But there was a couple of times where he ran deep, didn't want, got targeted, didn't wind up catching the ball, but he looked like he was gasping for air. Or was uncomfortable. It looked like he was trying to play through something. He's so slow. He's just such a shell of himself. He is so slow. But it was more than that. Last night it was either his conditioning or something's ailing him. So we're gonna watch that closely. But he looked like he was gasping for air anytime he ran, I don't know, more than 12 yards past the line of scrimmage. It was very weird. It was very odd. And that can't continue to happen, especially when you have guys like Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore that you can turn to make A.J. Green more of a situational play rather than a starting number two receiver. But we're going to have to watch because he has been the one getting the most volume when Hopkins goes down or you know, the second most volume when it's not going to Hopkins on a consistent basis. So he might enter that high-end wide receiver four territory. There's no ceiling to his game, but he might enter that high-end wide receiver four territory if that continues to be the case and if Hopkins is going to miss some time. We don't know these things yet, but something to keep an eye on after last night's game. Christian Kirk, six targets, four catches, 46 yards. Rondell Moore got mixed in a couple of different ways, but again, he's still just, he's still just not playing enough. Rondell Moore in this match, we had 36 snaps, 27 routes run. And a lot of that came after DeAndre Hopkins went down before that, you know, he was still kind of just getting mixed in here and there. Christian Kirk, A.J. Green still ahead of him on the snap count and the routes run in that situation. So something just to keep in mind. Chase Edmonds, like again, I go back to the Arizona Cardinals did not have the ball that much in this game because the Packers did such a good job milking the clock. But when they did, they got their guys involved. Edmonds still led the way as far as carries, snaps, receptions, and finally got the lid off the end zone and scores in this game. Now, he still didn't want to having as big of a game as I was expecting him to, given the matchup against the Green Bay Packers. But a lot of that had to do with the game flow of this. Seven carries, 30 yards, picks up the rushing touchdown, three catches, 39 yards. I mean, the reception he had at the end of the game really set them up in position where the Cardinals should have at least been able to tie the game, had Kyler Murray not thrown an interception. Although, I don't know that was really on Kyler Murray. A.J. Green never looked for the ball. Never did. I don't know what he was doing. Couldn't tell if he was blocking or trying to set up a route or thought the ball was getting thrown to the other side of the field and it was just being a distraction. I don't know what he was doing. But Murray threw him the ball, and it wound up going right past the back of his head. He never even looked for it. Never even looked for it. Connor, of course, like I said, he gets the two touchdowns. Still not involved in the passing game at all. And when they come back from behind, you saw Chase Edmonds out there for two-minute drill offense. That nothing's going to change there as far as value-wise. Connor's still a touchdown dependent RB3 more weeks than not. And on the Packers' side of the ball, look, we knew going into this game they were going to lean on both Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Now, before everybody goes crazy about A.J. Dillon getting 16 carries, Aaron Jones' is 15, Dillon played a great game. And he's definitely going to be involved, I think, at least 40% of the time when it comes to the carries maybe the rest of the season, but they needed to use Aaron Jones as more of a receiver in this game. So I knew AJ Dillon was going to be heavily involved as far as the carries are concerned. And he performed well, but Aaron Jones was the one who had 11 targets, seven receptions 51 yards. AJ Dillon didn't even have a target in this game. So I think we're going back to what we suspected in the originally, which was that AJ Dillon was not going to be a factor When it comes to the passing game, does he maybe get a Jamal Williams role in the fact that he's, you know, utilized 35, 40% of the time when it comes to the the workload, the carry workload? Yes. But other than that one game a few weeks ago, where he had, I think he had four receptions and a touchdown in that game. And then, of course, you had LaFleur come out and make the remark that, oh, we got to get this guy the ball a little bit more in the passing game. That hasn't been the case since. He had one target the following week. He hasn't been targeting any of the game since then. And last night's game, when they, the argument could have really been made, because, again, the running backs were the game plan, utilizing them in any way they could. Dylan wasn't utilized at all in the passing game. In fact, he had eight routes run compared to Aaron Jones' 25. So I want to illustrate the point again for Aaron Jones owners out there. Aaron Jones is still an RB1. And I'm not looking at this as a, a, a 50-50 split moving forward between him and A.J. Dillon. This was the game plan that they had to turn to, where Jones had to be the lead receiver. Again, with 11 targets, 7 receptions, and 51 yards. 59 yards on the ground and a touchdown, so he still goes over 100 yards from scrimmage. Gets to score. Not much more you could ask for out of an Aaron Jones in this matchup. Robert Tunyon went down with a bad knee injury in this game. I can't say it was totally non-contact because it was after the tackle, but it looked like if you watch the replay, when the injury actually happened, it wasn't because he got tackled. It had nothing to do with the defender. So I'm a little bit worried right now for Robert Tunyon what that's going to mean. He had three receptions, 49 yards before he had to leave that game with the knee issue, and it's not looking good. So we'll see. We'll keep you guys up to date on social media at BillyUpMDFFShow as we learn more. And Randall Cobb, he had the two touchdowns, only five targets, three, only three receptions, only 15 yards. That's why we weren't very excited about Randall Cobb because he's just, he's not Randall Cobb anymore. Even in a game in which he needed to be utilized, they still had Juwan Winfrey as the high target guy, six targets as far as the wide receivers are concerned. Randall Cobbs is not very good, but in this game, if you played him thinking that you were going to get some additional volume due to necessity, you did wind up walking away with the two touchdowns. So good for you. Good for you. Things will get back to normal next week. We do expect Devontae Adams to be back off the COVID list since he was vaccinated. It won't be as difficult for him to return. Alan Lazar, on the other hand, just a quick update on him. He wasn't vaccinated. So there is a decent chance that he winds up missing next week as well. As far as Aaron Rodgers is concerned, he was a top-12 quarterback for me, number 12 exactly on the board. 184 yards, two passing touchdowns. He played a great game, but fantasy-wise was a bit limited. We suspected that could be the case, not having any of his top weapons, knowing that this game is going to be heavily leaned on the running backs. So here's what we're going to do now. I want to get a word in from our sponsor. When we come back on the other side, we're going to start to preview the late window of games. So everybody, stay tuned on the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We'll be back. Right after this is the NBA lock of the season. What is a lock? A lock is simply put a bet. You can't lose. And with my bookie, you can't lose with the NBA lock of the season. When you bet on either team to score between the Dallas Mavericks or the Denver Nuggets this Friday, you win an NBA game has never gone scoreless. So, you know, this is a sure bet place your bet. They score you win. It's that easy. Get paid Friday wake up saturday and throw down on usc 267 this weekend my bookie is also giving all users a 100 risk-free wager on the light heavyweight championship fight between jan blachowicz and glover to share so don't wait Head to mybookie.ag now and use my promo code MDFANTASY and get in on the NBA lock of the season. That's promo code MDFANTASY. It's a lock. Get your season started with a win and thank me later. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie.
1: You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show.
2: Welcome back to the program, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. or watching it live on social media at MDFF Show, And, of course, subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel when you get the opportunity to do so. Check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. And tonight, we're going to be back twice tonight. We're going to be on the Unhinged Radio Network from 6 to 7.30 on Unhinged SN.airtime.pro. And we'll be back at 9 o'clock for the MD's DFS Contest. And Lock Bets of the Week, always a very popular show. Make sure you tune into that when we go live on social media and on YouTube. I got to hit this coming out of the break.
0: Breaking news.
2: We got some explosive news for you guys breaking while this show is going live. So there is a report now that the Cowboys might have to start Cooper Rush this week over Dak Prescott, who came in a bit sore for for from yesterday, trying to push that calf injury a little bit more to see what he could do, came in a bit sore today, and now all of a sudden it's sounding like Cooper Rush might be the starting quarterback. That is, oh, that's bad. That's really bad. That's bad news all the way around, obviously, for a ton of fantasy owners for for so many reasons. We're going to break down that game in a little while now, so we'll get back to that uh, later on in the show. But as of right now, looking like Cooper Rush is going to be the starting quarterback again for the Cowboys, and barring some sort of miracle, Corey Davis officially not expected to play. And then also in other news, Davis Mills expected to be the starter. So I don't know if that means Tyrod Taylor has some sort of setback or if he's just not quite ready to go as they activate on the IR and seemed hopeful that he would be able to play this week, but we're going to have to have another week of Davis mills as the starting quarterback. So that keeps Brandon cooks as nothing more than a wide receiver three uh, Baker Mayfield. On the other hand does look like he is practicing and looks like he'll be having a good chance to play uh, this week. So some big news there, and it's going to really affect some fantasy matches. We'll talk about that as we go through the show, but let's get into these preview matchups. Actually, first, before we do that, though, I do have a comment here from Miles. Do I drop Sanders for Gainwell, or, and do I drop Corey Davis for Devonta Smith? So I'm, getting, I'm going to guess, I'm going to go on a limb, that you're not playing in a big 12-man league or even a 10-man league if these are options available to you. Uh, look, with Sanders, if you don't have an IR spot, I think you can drop him in that case, because even when he's been healthy and playing, He hasn't been been utilized very well. He hasn't been very good anyway. So judging by your questions here, being that I think it's a smaller league that you're actually in there, Miles, if you want to go ahead and drop Sanders for game, well, I think you can. Corey Davis, you definitely should be dropping for Devonta Smith if he's available to you on your waiver. Devonta Smith's been a wide receiver two all season long. Corey Davis has been a wide receiver three all season long. So even if Corey Davis wasn't hurt, I'd rather have Devonta Smith. So that would be my advice to you, Miles. Thank you for tuning in to the show. Let's dive into this matchup first. We've got the Patriots and the Chargers up first in the notes. Damon Harris comes in at my RB15 for me on the week. Look, the Chargers have been very, very good against the pass, been very good against quarterbacks, very good against wide receivers, very good against tight ends. They have not been good against the running game, which we know the Patriots are going to have to feature for them to ever win games. They have to lean on the running game. They have to lean on defense to try to stay competitive throughout these matchups. So Damian Harris has been playing very well as of late. This is another good matchup for him here. Comes into my RB15, a strong mid-level RB2. Outside of that, Jacoby Myers, wide receiver 39 for me on the week. This might change. Now we have some news about some Cowboy wide receivers. I might have to dip down. Not that he would go ahead of a Cooper or a C.D. Lamb, but there's going to be some flexing around all my wide receiver rankings. Make sure you're tuning in to BillionFantasySports.com because we'll be updating those rankings throughout the weekend. He comes in at wide receiver 39 for me. Again, all he does is provide a decent floor due to the volume that he sees on a week-to-week basis. That's it. He doesn't find the end zone. There is no ceiling. He doesn't, have, he doesn't make big plays on the outside. He'll just continue to be that security blanket for Mac Jones each week. This is a tough matchup against the Chargers. This is why I would expect maybe you have to you know, lower your expectations on what that floor is going to quite be but he's still in that flex territory. If you're looking for just a safe option this week, Hunter Henry comes in at my tight end nine more so for the revenge game than anything else, because I want people to keep in mind of this. Janus Smith's going to play this, this game. Yeah. I know he had the shoulder injury last week, but he came back to practice right away on Wednesday. So it's nothing to be really concerned about, but in that game against the jets before he got knocked out due to injury, it was clear that suddenly something changed in the game plan. The Patriots, had it in mind, they wanted to get Janu Smith the ball. Plain and simple. Janu Smith was the game plan to be involved at the tight end position last week. It wasn't going to be Hunter Henry until it had to be. I mean, the guy was, he had, you had, they gave him a reverse and carries. He had a bunch of targets already, even before he went out in that ball game. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's not going to be the trend to continue. Did they, did a light bulb finally go off and Josh McDaniels' head and say, you know what? We're paying this guy an awful lot of money, and all I do is ask him to block. I don't ask him to do anything else. So, now you find yourselves in a situation where maybe Janu Smith's going to start to get back work involved, in which case if that happens, Hunter Henry, Janu Smith, no matter who it is, they don't have any value. But I'm sticking with Hunter Henry getting into my top 10 tight end for this week. Why? Because it's against the Chargers. I do think in a revenge game, They might put off the whole Janu Smith getting involved as number one tight end one more week. I think there's a chance that happens. But something to kind of keep your eye on because people have been streaming Hunter Henry because he's been on a touchdown streak. And that's why he comes in at tight end nine for me in a nice revenge spot here against the Chargers. On the Chargers side of the ball, you play everybody involved. Justin Herbert, QB8. Keenan Allen, wide receiver 22. Mike Williams, a wide receiver 9. And Jared Cook is a streaming option. He's in that mid-level tight end two range like he is every week because we know he can make the big play, whether he does or not, of course, will always be a different discussion. That's why he's always a mid-level tight end two and not anywhere near my top 12, but a streaming option if you have to go that route. Patriots secondary is not what it used to be. Yes, they might try to take away the top guy. In years past, that's been Keenan Allen. Now, I know Mike Williams has been playing as the top guy this season. I don't know that game plan necessarily changes. And because they don't have guys like Stephon Gilmore anymore out there, I don't know how worried you are about a Mike Williams, who, by the way, practiced in full this week. So obviously, over the knee injury, whatever the issue was, the bye week did him some good. So you feel good there. The question is going to be Austin Eckler. Because he popped up on in the injury report yesterday with a hip issue out of nowhere. So now we have to ask ourselves, is Austin Eckler even going to be available? We'll know more later today, of course, being that they're a West Coast team. We're not going to get this update until later on the day. So make sure you're following us on social media at BillyUpMDFFShow. But Austin Eckler, if he plays, is my running back seven, of course. he's he's been He's been a top three running back. Obviously, Love is involved in the passing game, which is where most of his value comes from, or I should say his base fundamental fantasy floor comes from. But what you get worried about is his hip injury. Does that take away some of his carries? Because the thing that he's been great about is that he's been more involved in the red zone, carrying the ball, carrying the ball in general, but especially in the red zone, where he's getting opportunities to score touchdowns that he never really had at this point in his career. That's why his fantasy value now is a top five running back. But we'll have to wait and see what's going on with his injury before we can properly value Austin Eckler. But again, of course, he's a must-play if he's going to be out there. Did have a comment again from... (laughs) So we got a comment coming in from uh, YouTube from uh, Trilly Seb. This guy sent me Devontae Adams and Damian Harris for DJ Moore and Fournette. Which side is winning? If somebody sent you a trade where they're giving you Devontae Adams, take the deal. Take the deal. You Do you know the target pace that he's on? I mean, I, before he had to miss this game, this guy was on pace for almost 200 targets this year. Take the deal. He's number one receiver for fantasy football, and Damian Harris is a very good running back. The Damian harris Leonard Fournette thing, they're pretty much a Maybe Fournette gets a little bit more value because he's more involved in the passing game. But yeah, DJ Moore, have you seen the Carolina Panthers? Have you seen Sam Darnold himself imploding? Absolutely. If this, if somebody sent you a trade for Devontae Adams and Damian Williams and was giving you that deal for DJ Moore and Leonard Fournette, truly said, do yourself the favor and take that deal as soon as you have the opportunity to do so. And thank you for tuning in to the show. So the next game I want to talk about, and I'll talk about the betting lines in a little while. Next game I want to talk about is the Jacksonville Jaguars, Seattle Seahawks here. The Jaguars, what's their fantasy value at coming off the bye it's a decent matchup for them. I mean, the Seattle Seahawks is not a very good defense. The only reason why they, they look like on paper they haven't been giving up a ton of points is because they're playing such a slow-tempo offense that these games of Seattle, if you look at them, they're short games. They're very short games because they're just trying to run the ball. They're just, Pete Carroll's trying to play this old style of football. He's not up with the times, unfortunately. So now you have somebody who is trying to melt out the clock as quickly as possible. So their defense doesn't look as bad as it actually is. They're giving up a ton of yards whenever they're out there exposed at all. They're not a good defense. It's more of a mirage. It's more of a perception. So I like a lot of the Jacksonville players in this game. Trevor Lawrence comes in at QB 16 for me. He's a mid-level quarterback. He's a streaming option for you. James Robinson makes my top 12. He's an RB one as you know, Look, he's getting the carries, he's getting the receptions, and he's looking good. James Robinson really making a strong case for next season. Travis Etienne's not going to be able to watch back in off his injury and take over that job unless Urban Meyer is so stupid. And I I can't rule this out because it's a possibility, but unless Urban Meyer is so stupid that they try to get rid of James Robinson because he just wants Travis Etienne in there. I don't know. When, When it comes to Urban Meyer and Jacksonville Jaguars, I can't rule any idiot scenario out, unfortunately. But Rob's improving that he is. It wasn't just a one-year wonder. That he is truly a legitimate star running back in this league with the way he's been playing this season. So he comes in at uh, RB12 for me. Excuse me. Marvin Jones comes in at wide receiver 24. So he's a low-end wide receiver too. He is the lead guy in targets. He has the best chance for big plays. He has the best chance for touchdowns on an offense that typically speaking is throwing the ball 35, 40-plus times a game. High volume. So Marvin Jones has a very safe floor, especially in good matchups like this one any given week. So that's why he comes in a low-end wide receiver, two For me, a very a very valuable play. LaVisca Chennault comes in at wide receiver 34. So he just makes my top 36, makes it as a wide receiver three range territory. You want to see him get more involved. The problem with LaVisca Chenault right now is that Jamal Agnew has become that third receiver. And the main reason why that's an issue is because Jamal Agnew can only play the slot. Well, Chenault is a much better player when he gets to play the slot, but now he's not getting that opportunity since DJ Chark has gone out. So this extra volume, this target consolidation that we are anticipating, especially for LaVisca Chenault with no DJ Chark, becomes kind of a moot point Because now he's kind of playing out of position. And it's becoming an issue as a result of that. So, his value, not what it could have been. Because he could have been a, especially half-point, full-point PPR. This guy could have been a guy who was borderline, that top-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two territory. And been a really nice, you know, flex play for a lot of people. But unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to happen that way because he's just, he doesn't get off the line as well. He's not, he's not a crisp route runner. He's the guy you want to give him the ball in the middle of the field because he's more physical than the nickel corner of the other team. But he still comes in at wide receiver 34 because there is still an expected amount of volume heading his way in this matchup. Dan Earl is not something I want to play if I have other options to be able to do so, but I've talked about him before. He is a deep league streamer option because I think in a lot of ways he's going to be the third pass catcher as far as you know, not including James Robinson. If you include James Robinson, probably the fourth pass catcher. But I think more times than not, he'll be that that third, fourth pass catcher on this team. They've already shown that they want to try to get Dan, uh, Dan Arnold the ball if they have the opportunity to do so. So just something to kind of keep in mind. 10, 12-man leagues, you probably have better options, but he is a deep league sleeper for uh, me. On the Seattle side, we're still waiting for Russell Wilson to come back. Now, I think he's two more weeks away, if I'm not mistaken. Sounds like he is going to be on the earlier side of that initial four to six week injury timeline. So that's the good news. What do you do with these wide receivers in this match against the Jacksonville Jaguars? Because you want to play them against the Jaguars. You want to play DK Metcalf, who I have at wide receiver 16. You want to play Tyler Lockett, who I have at wide receiver 32, a wide receiver three against the Jaguars in this matchup. You can't trust Geno, obviously. Now, here's what I'm going to say, though, in his defense, or at least maybe not in his defense, but the silver lining, I should say, for the fantasy value of the other two wide receivers. It's not the Saints' defense. It's not the Steelers' defense. So when you, while those two defenses on paper were giving up fantasy points to wide receivers, the Jaguars don't have any corners whatsoever. But the more important thing is they don't have a pass rush. The one thing Gino was really struggling with and why I think they were really having kid gloves on Gino, not just because he's the backup quarterback, because playing against two teams that have very good front seven defenses, very good pass rushes, hard to have effective run games. Against those two. So become quite limited in what you're trying to do. And Gino is just here to not give the game away. That's what he's there just to be a game manager. So when you combine a good defense with a good pass rush going up as a quarterback, who's just there to be a game manager, you get a very limited passing window. Even if the secondaries are supposed to be vulnerable to good wide receivers. we saw DK Metcalf be able to make at least one big play when he was out there on Monday. So when you go against the Jaguars, though, they don't have any of those things. Gino doesn't have to worry about the pass rush. They should be able to run the ball effectively, so they should have play action to be available to them. I go all out to say is this. I don't think it's going to be as desolate when it comes to the productivity, the targets for the wide receivers that has been the past couple of weeks. I do think Gino has a decent shot to at least look like a competent quarterback against the Jaguars, because that's what they do for you. In which case, there might be a little bit of a higher floor a little more value to be had for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in this matchup. That's why DK Metcalf still a mid-level wide receiver too, because you know, he's big, strong can catch touchdowns and can make a big play. If he just gets some opportunities, he showed you on Monday and then Tyler Lockett, while he's still a wide receiver three for me, the reason he stays inside my top 36. Cause otherwise I think if they were playing anybody else, I probably would have had him in my wide receiver forties. I probably wouldn't have, I would probably have had him a, a must sit. He's not a must sit for me. He is a guy who's a wide receiver three, a flex play depending upon the size of your league. Because the Jacksonville Jaguars and Geno's should have a little bit more time to throw the football. But my analysis on them long-term hasn't changed. It is ultimately, if you can hold on to these guys, do so. Because when Wilson comes back and Seattle continues to lose games, especially against tougher matchups, I don't know if they lose this game against the Jaguars or not, but they did just beat the Dolphins, which, considering the circumstances, might be just as talented a team as the Seahawks are at the moment without Russell Wilson. If they continue to lose games, when Wilson comes back, I'm telling you guys right now, bell bets are going to be off. I don't think we're going to continue to see this slow-paced offense that Pete Carroll has them playing. I know he had a, I know he had them playing before Russell Wilson got hurt, but now they're going to be in desperate season mode where something's going to have to change. My guess would be that something would be the offense opens up. So I, I'm anticipating right now a big second half for the Seattle offense when Russell Wilson comes back. So keep holding on to these guys because I think they're, they're playoff stretches. Seattle has a nice schedule for these wide receivers the second half of the season. There's not a single secondary out there that scares you that they play the rest of the way. So when Wilson comes back, could be sky's the limit for both the DK Metcalf and a Tyler Lockett. There are bye weeks coming up too. So my thing with Tyler Lockett is also this. And I was talking to Chris about this uh, off air. We think Tyler Lockett's hurt. I know he's been practicing. But ever since he had that knee injury back in week three, It's not just a matter of him not performing on the box score. He doesn't look like the same wide receiver. He doesn't look as explosive. He looks like he's kind of running through mud. He's a little bit hindered by something. Once they get back to the bye week, it's going to be the only time he's finally going to rest. Because, Like I said, he's still been practicing. He hasn't been taking any rest. I think that might do him some real good too. So things to look forward to, I believe, in the second half of the season. As far as the running backs are concerned, again, we're not going to have Chris Carson in this game. Rashad Penny showed you on Monday night that he's still working his way back in the NFL game shape, whatever that may look like for Rashad Penny. So Alex Collins comes in at RB 28 for me. He might move up a few more spots, but I do expect him to be the lead carrier, the lead running back. And you like the match against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So Alex Collins should be, at the very least, a flex play for you, but could be a nice little fill in RB 2 if you need be, depending upon what your situation is, what your injuries are. All right, so let's talk about the betting lines for the last two games. Let's talk about the Chargers and the Patriots to, to kick things off. Chargers are minus four and a half at home against the Patriots who don't have a good offense. Chargers coming off the bye week, explosive as ever. I think that de- the big thing about the Chargers right now is that defense. Brandon Staley has that defense trending in the right direction on top of everything else. Give me the Chargers as a lock bet at minus four and a half over the New England Patriots. Over-under set at 49, I'm not touching the over-under because there is a scenario here in which the Patriots just don't put up any points. So as a result to that, I'd probably stick away, stay away from that myself. And then, of course, this game, Seattle and Jacksonville. Seattle's favored by minus three and a half because it's in Seattle. I'm not touching this game. I'm not touching this game. I wouldn't be surprised if Jacksonville won. I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle was able to get their act together for this matchup. Over-under set at 44. I might. I'm not going to bet it, so it's still going to be a no contest for me. But if I was going to bet anything, it would probably be the over. I do think we're going to see more than 44 points scored in this game, with the way the Jacksonville Jaguars run their offense, very up tempo, and I think they will have opportunities to score in this matchup. So, if I was going to bet anything, it would be over. It would be over uh, 44, but no contest for me ultimately. Let's move in to the Washington football team and the Denver Bronco matchup. So the big the big thing we got to talk about with Washington, of course, where all eyes are Antonio Gibson. What can you do or what can you not do, basically? Dealing with this shin injury. I will say this. It must be getting a little bit better. Remember last week, he didn't practice at all until Friday. He's been practicing limit capacity all week long so far at this point. So that is a sign of improvement. Although last week's game, it didn't look very good. He looked very slow. He's still getting carries when he's out there. JD McKissick outplayed him as far as snaps are concerned. But when McGibson was out there, it seemed like he was going to be there to get the ball. He still led the way in carries. He had 14. He's still the guy who has the best chance for a touchdown. He's just not going to be involved in the passing game. He had two targets again. That's his, that's his quota. Two targets. Ever since week one, he's had two targets in almost every game. No more, no less. That's his quota. So he comes in RB 22 for me because I know Dearness Johnson lit up the Denver Broncos. And maybe the Denver Broncos defense is quitting on Vic Vangio. That could be the case, too. But this, on paper, is still not a great matchup for running backs. But, again, I kind of alluded to that point. It kind of looked like to me in that Cleveland Brown game that the Denver defense was starting to kind of quit on their head coach. It did. So if that continues, it doesn't matter what the talent looks like. It doesn't matter what the stats say on paper looks like. It could be open season. For the Broncos, real soon, unless they get something turned around, especially in this game against Washington. They lose this game at home against Washington. I think you might see a team quit on their guy. And I wouldn't be surprised if Vic Vangio winds up getting fired before the season is out because this could go in a downward spiral. So this winds up being a pretty big game for the Denver Broncos. But I don't love the matchup here for Antonio Gibson for fantasy purposes, to why he's a lower end RB2, especially with the expected volume being a little bit less than it normally would. If he was hundred percent healthy, you have to deal with that shin injury. But again, like I said, he practiced in limited capacity this week. I think there's some reason for optimism when it comes to Antonio Gibson and his injury getting maybe a little bit better. Cause that is a sign of progression. JD McKissick is my RB 33. He'll be involved in the passing game. We know this. Uh, he hasn't put up big gaudy stat lines, especially for a guy who's playing more lately. But a guy you continue to play as, especially PPR, as a flex play. When even in half point, I do have him inside that top 36 as a potential option. Terry McLaurin is practicing limited capacity. He's been able to play through this hamstring injury. He's been able to be effective. He had a big game last week through this hamstring injury. So we're not worried about him at all either. He comes in at wide receiver 11 because while the Broncos on paper are still tough for a tougher matchup against the running backs, at secondary. Has not played up to expectations. So McLaurin is in a spot where he has a nice little matchup for him. And of course, he's the only one getting targeted. Curtis Samuel still a little bit banged up. He was practically capacity. We'll see if he's able to come back this week. Diami Brown picked up another injury last week. So outside of Ricky Seals-Jones, there's nobody else to really take targets away. It's Terry McLaurin and, and nothing else. Ricky Seals-Jones comes in at tight end 13 for me. The Broncos have been tough against tight ends. He still has that safe floor. We still know he's going to probably get targeted six plus times in this game. Maybe seven plus times in this game but he doesn't quite have the same ceiling he has had in the last couple of matchups heading into this one. But here, even though he comes in at tight end 13, which would which, which suggest that he's more of a high end tight end two for me than inside my tight end one. So he's not necessarily a must start. I'm not going to drop Ricky Seals Jones or anybody else to pick up a tight end that is inside my top 10. Because again, once you get out, especially this week, once you get outside the top six, they're all pretty much the same. They're all pretty much the same. So I wouldn't worry about that aspect of it either. And on the Broncos side, you continue to play both Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. Now, everyone's getting very, very excited right now that they think they're seeing a trend that Javante Williams is heading in the right direction as far as us wanting him to take over. And we do. And I, I want to see him take over. I'm a big Javante Williams fan. It wasn't enough, it, There's not a trend going on here. I think it's more hopefulness on the fantasy industry part that the logic of who the better player is starts to take over a little bit more. And he is that better player. But his usage is still not enough. But Melvin Gordon is still getting just a, a tick, a tick more usage than Javante Williams is. So I don't know where this trend is coming from. Now, do I think it happens eventually? Yeah, because Javante Williams has been the more efficient back. But Melvin Gordon is still just taking him a little bit, especially when it comes to the passing game. Especially when it comes to the passing game. So I have Melvin Gordon ranked at 25, but Javante Williams ranked at 26. They're both high-end RB3 plays for me this week. You like the matchup against Washington, although the defense played a lot better last week. One game is not enough for me to say, oh, Washington's defense may be turning the corner on this thing. We got to see him do a couple of weeks in a row, but you do like the matchup here against Washington for, not just the running backs, who are both high-end RB3s, but for the wide receivers. Jerry Judy probably makes his reappearance off of his injury sounds like he'll be a full go whether he can, whether conditioning wise, he can be out there for a full set of snaps. That'll be the question, but I fully expect him to be heavily involved when he is out there because they need a spark on offense. It's been very, very putrid. He comes in at wide receiver 33 for me, partly, you know, because of the situation he's in where they need him. And partly because of the matchup, I do think you could play Jerry Judy in his first game back and have the confidence that he's at least a wide receiver three with some upside. Cause if he is, if he is more conditioned, remember he's a younger guy. So in his case, it might not be as big of a deal trying to get back to NFL game shape, coming off of an injury where he's missed, you know, a month of play. If he is a little bit more in better game shape than I'm anticipating, he might have a higher volume. He might get his normal workload. We'll have to see. And I do believe rest of season, at least target wise, Jerry Judy is going to be the preferred target to Teddy Bridgewater over Cortland Sutton. Now, fantasy wise, Cortland Sutton's still the guy who's more likely to get a touchdown, more, more likely to get those big plays. But target wise, I think Judy might be the more volume play just because given where Teddy Bridgewater typically likes to go with the ball. And he hasn't been able to do that with this team since Judy's been out. Now he'll be able to. But Cortland Sutton is still the higher-ranked wide receiver for me. He's a must-play. He's wide receiver 18, a mid-level wide receiver too. Again, you love the matchup. You love his potential to get big plays. And while I say rest of season, Judy might have a little bit more volume, Cortland Sutton ain't going to be that far behind. him. So you don't have to worry about that. Noah Fant comes in at tight end six for me. The problem with Noah Fant, obviously I don't have an issue with him this week, but the problem with him moving forward, is that with Judy back, more times not the guy who's going to be the odd man left out of this pass catching rotation is going to be Noah Fan. First of all, he's a jekyll and Hyde tight end to begin with. He has games where he's hugely involved. He has other games where he's barely involved at all, for no rhyme or reason. And that is even before Judy comes back into the mix. But more times than not, the guy who's going to get left out, I believe, will be Noah Fan. So he's a tight end six for me this week, and he'll be a top ten tight end for me the rest of the season. But he has a low floor possibility every single week. Now, I know when it comes to the tight ends, it's not saying much because that's pretty much the position. But for a guy that you drafted to try to be that top 10 guy for you so you'd have the position locked down, I think you're going to have just as many games that you're very, very unhappy as you are happy. If not, maybe even a little bit more on the unhappy side. A little bit more on the inconsistent side. So maybe if you could trade high sell high on a Noah fan. That might be a way to go. Just future reference. Talk about betting this game. And uh, look, I am going to put some shekels on the Denver Broncos. The line right now is set at minus three. And the only reason I'm going to do this is because it's at home and this game, believe it or not, I think is more important to the Denver Broncos than it is the Washington football team. Because again, I go back to it. If they lose this game, I think it might trigger a downward spiral for this Denver Bronco team the rest of the year. So I think a lot is on the line here. I think you're going to see them play a tough, tight game. So I am going to throw a little bit on Denver Broncos covering in this matchup. I'm not touching the 44 and a half over/under. Too many, too many things can come out of that. What I want to do is I want to take a quick break, and get a word in from our sponsor. When we come back on the other side, still so got a few more window. Late window, week eight matchup previews to go over with you guys. And then, of course, as we always do, we have the mailbag savings. So make sure you stay tuned for that. So everybody, stay tuned for the MD's Famous Football Show. We'll be back right after this. Your client's going away for 10 years. Unless. Unless. First round picks. It's football season, baby, and you know what that means? It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time for you to join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at Manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. It's three and out the window with all the other hair trimmers. Now go tame that wildcat offense. As the world is starting to open, the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is here to help you get ready. Inside, you'll find their brand new lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, plus two free gifts, Performance Boxer Briefs, and the Shed Travel Bag. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is the perfect package for your package and a key for great grooming and hygiene routine to make sure the boys downstairs are smooth like Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. Get 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BellyUpFantasy at manscaped.com today.
1: You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show.
2: Welcome back, MD Nation, to the program. You are listening and are watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at bellyupmdffshow. And, of course, subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel when you get the opportunity to do so. Check us out after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. Make sure you listen to this show. Make sure you listen to the Wednesday night show when we do the early window of preview games, not just the Thursday night game. Don't worry. The rest of that content there is still very much in play, very valid. And of course, check us out tonight from 6 to 7.30 on the Unhinged Radio Network at unhingesn.airtime.pro. And then we'll be back at 9 p.m. streaming to you live on social media and on YouTube with the MD's DFS Contest. Where Chris and I will give you our DraftKings lineup cards for the week. And our lock bets on the week when Mr. Chaz Filardi joins the show. So you're going to see quite a bit of me today. Don't you enjoy it? Don't you enjoy it? We're always here trying trying to win you guys money. Trying to get you guys those championships. I'll tell you trying to win a championship right now is Tampa Bay. Ooh, man, they look like a team possessed. Tom Bree is going to be my top five quarterback on the week in this NFC South rival matchup with the Saints. We're not going to have Antonio Brown. Why they won't just rule him out, I don't know. We know he's not going to play. Yeah, it's, it's the news on him is just not looking great. Now, Bruce Arians gives us some hope, saying that maybe after the bye week, he'll be able to return, which is the whole reason they're not putting him on IR. Because if you go in the IR, it's not like the Pup List. The Pup List goes by weeks. That's why Michael Thomas was technically eligible to come back after week six, even though the Saints had only played five games up until that point, because they had the bye week week six. The IR is dictated by games. So when you go in the IR, you have to miss at least three games, not necessarily three weeks. So in three weeks, they got the bye week. So they think by that third game... There's a potential for Antonio Brown to come back in that game. So that's why they won't put him on IR. So that, that's the only silver lining that I can offer you as Antonio Brown owners, is that maybe he'll be back after that bye week. Now, Arians, of course, did left, you know, leave the, the sickening feeling in your stomach when he said it could be longer than that. The problem seems to be that whatever this ankle sprain is, it's near the Achilles. So they're being very, very careful with it because, you know, this this thing turns into Achilles injury. He's done for the rest of the year. And Tampa Bay really needs Antonio Brown for another Super Bowl run. Especially with the way he's been playing this year. He's been he's been fantastic this entire season. So keep holding on to Antonio Brown. Hopefully you have an IR spot. But in the meantime, that means target consolidation around Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I should mention Rob Gronkowski is expected to come back in this game finally. And he does come in as a tight end eight for me this week. So he's back to being a top 10 tight end. You just know he has that ceiling to score, not just one, but maybe two touchdowns in any given week with the rapport that he has with Tom Brady. And when Antonio Brown out, even in his first game back, he might see a very solid target share in his own right. But the target solidation for the most part goes around Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I have Godwin ranked ahead this week. I have at wide receiver 13. I have Mike Evans at wide receiver fifteen. Of course, the matchup with Marshawn Lattimore having a lot to do with that and the history that Mike Evans has going up against Marshawn Lattimore. But with the absence of Antonio Brown, if you do owe Mike, uh, Mike Evans, and the reason why he's still a mid-level wide receiver too for me, even though he's had very poor performances against the Saints in his history, is that you get that extra target consolidation. You get that extra volume. He's still always a threat to score a touchdown. And as good as Lattimore is, we still saw DK Metcalf have a big play for uh, against him on Monday night. So. Play Mike Evans. You're not benching him in this game. Antonio Brown being out helps a little bit with that floor. But I do have Chris Godwin ranked ahead. I do think Chris Godwin's in line for a very big game because you can you can attack the slot position against the Saints. And that's where Godwin's going to be lining up for the most part. He'll be the one with the better mismatch heading into this game. But you're playing everybody involved. Leonard Fournette, he's got a tough matchup. The Saints are brutal against the run. Absolutely brutal against the run. And now they're back healthy. They got a lot of their guys are back now. So I think we're going to see the Saints even start to play a little bit more up to expectations that we had for them earlier on the season. Which makes them just even tougher to run on. So that's why Leonard Fournette comes in for me at RB19. Still an RB2. You're still playing him, obviously. He's getting all the volume in the passing game, the rushing volume. Ronald Jones apparently doesn't play unless the game's already well in hand in the second half. So, Leonard Fournette's still an RB19, but you have to lower those expectations in a tough matchup like this against the Saints. Now, on the Saints side of the ball, again, I only care about Alvin Kamara. Marquez Calloway does come in at wide receiver 42 for me this week, just because the matchup, again, he still has that boomer bust ability. But Deontay Harris is expected to be back. Traquan Smith will probably play a little bit more in this game than he did in the Monday night game. And all those things kind of trend towards Calloway, who already. Hasn't really been performing up to what we've wanted him to do in fantasy-wise and hasn't necessarily gotten the volume to be able to do so. Still keeping him kind of in that wide receiver four range, boomer bust type of player. So I don't want to play Callaway if I have other options, but against Tampa Bay with how bad they are at the cornerback position and the fact that they could be playing with the lead for the majority of this game, forcing Jameis Winston to have to throw the ball more than 25 times, it could lead to Callaway actually being able to get a big play in this one. Kamara is Kamara is our is our RB6. Kamara is our RB6. So, while it's a tough match against Tampa Bay, not many teams can run on them very well. Although we did see Cleo Herbert finally have a 100-yard rushing game. Alvin Kamara has been getting back to being Alvin Kamara. They make the trade for Mark Ingram. Now, I am going to make this comment. I don't know why it takes Mark Ingram for him to get you know, quote unquote, back to the usage of an Alvin Kamara, because that was the comment made from Sean Payton. Now that Mark Ingram's here, we can unleash Alvin Kamara. makes no sense whatsoever that the guy getting less touches is somehow now in a position to be unleashed because he brought in guys to take away touches. makes no sense. What he's referring to, of course, is that now they'll be able to continue getting Alvin Kamara back involved in the passing game the way they have been, like they had the previous two weeks. Last week, he had 10, 10 targets, I believed, And before the bye week, he was getting back to being Kamara in the receiving game as well. This will ensure that that continues. Which is why even against Tampa Bay, while it's a tough matchup with the ground, their linebackers are still banged up. He'll have the opportunities in the passing game to really sustain his fantasy floor and being back to the Kamara that we all know and love him to be as to why he's always been a top three fantasy running back.
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's rare to find a gift that you know everyone on your list will love. That's what you get with an incredibly soft blanket from Minky Couture. With hundreds of different styles and sizes of Minky Couture blankets, you'll find a gift that they are sure to love every single day of the year. Shop the best deals of the season at MinkyCouture.com.
2: And still, even with Ingram back there, this isn't going to go back to three years ago with how the split was. Kamara's still going to lead the way in carries. Ingram's not the player he was three years ago. So I'm not overly concerned about that. But if if you want to take a positive side out of it, it's that Kamara will be Kamara when it comes to the passing game. And regardless of when Michael Thomas comes back, now Michael Thomas still isn't practicing yet. We're still not in November yet. Next week when we get into November, that's what I'm going to start to look for. Okay, what's the update? What's the progress on Michael Thomas at that point? And I truly believe, look, I'm not a doctor. I don't know exactly how he's going to be able to respond, how long it'll take to get him in NFL condition shape. Probably will take a couple of weeks. I don't know if I'm going to want to play Michael Thomas the first game he comes back. But with this wide receiver group being so putrid and this team being so limited because they don't have wide receivers that they can throw the ball to consistently consistently, I don't know. I don't really care if Michael Thomas is still hindered by the injury. He's going to get a ton of volume, I believe. A ton of targets. So if nothing else, the floor, I think, for Thomas is a volume-based, low-end wide receiver, too. That's the floor. And, of course, he's Michael Thomas. If he comes back and he is healthy off that foot issue and he is back to being explosive and looking like the Michael Thomas that we saw a couple years ago, of course, he's got a wide receiver, one ceiling. But just given the way this offense has had to be structured, the volume alone, I think, will keep Michael Thomas as a low-end wide receiver, too, even if he's not the same guy. So keep holding on to him. You've held on to this point And look to buy low on him if you can. Because, again, there's a lot of people out there who really thought he was going to be back by now. And we're counting on it and are frustrated by it. See if you can take advantage, MD Nation. See if you can buy low on Michael Thomas while you can before he comes back and stash him. But that's all we care about from a fantasy perspective on the Saints because it's just it's, it's just that bad. So betting this game, minus five for Tampa Bay. They are road favorites. I'm not going to bet this game. There's going to be a no contest for me. But I will say this. I do think this game is going to be close. The Saints find ways. Sean Payton is such a good head coach. They find ways to stay in games, especially at home, especially against divisional rivals. I, I would, still I of course, say Tampa Bay should win this game. But I wouldn't be surprised if it is within five points. I wouldn't be surprised if this game came down to a field goal at the end. I don't think it's going to be a wide-open, them out type of game. And if it's not, then the Saints can keep this thing kind of within play. So I'm not going to bet that game. But if I was, I might go plus five on the Saints, actually, for that matchup. So let's head into Sunday night. So I, I broke the news earlier on the show that it's sounding like Cooper Rush is going to wind up having to be the starting quarterback so I guess we'll take it from there. That would just be you know, flat-out abysmal for everybody involved. I did have Dak Prescott as my QB7 on the week. But CD Lamb, Mari Cooper, right as it stands right now, if Prescott was playing, I had Lamb at my wide receiver 14, Amari Cooper at my wide receiver 21. Michael Gallup was not going to be in my... He's a wide receiver 5. He was not going to be anywhere near my top 36 his first game back. We still got to see... First of all, we still have to see if he gets activated off the IR. It still has not happened yet, but he has been back practicing. If he does come back and play in his game, he's still got to get back in NFL condition shape. I doubt he'd have a full plethora of snaps his first game back, even in a big spot here against Minnesota. So we're going to play him from a fantasy standpoint, but if you have Michael Gallup, or if you have the ability to pick up Michael Gallup, I would. But Lamb and Cooper, Lamb would be, I think they both become wide receiver threes at best. If Cooper rushes the starting quarterback. We've seen Cooper Rush play at this point. Look, he can give you some stuff on the ground. He's not a good thrower of the football. It's going to be such a drastic drop-off. And kind of like the Green Bay game that we just saw, or the Brown game the week before, Cooper Rush is going to be the starting quarterback. I think you're just going to see Dallas lean on Ezekiel Elliott and lean on Tony Pollard to keep that offense going. You like the matchup against Minnesota. But I think it's going to be an instance where... You may not be able to bench a CD Lamb or Amari Cooper, but if you have the ability to do so, you might, you might want to consider it. You might want to consider it. Because I don't trust Cooper Rush to get those guys the ball enough to be fantasy relevant. I really, really don't. So the tough spot coming out of the bye because the narrative the entire time was like, oh, Dak Prescott is supposed to play, He's supposed to come back. It's sounding like it's sounding like it's going to be it sound it's sounding like it was a setback. Again, he came in sore after practicing yesterday. So it sounds like he had a setback, which could really be problematic. So this might be an issue that's not just this week. This could be an issue heading into also next week, which would really be unfortunate if you're waiting for these Cowboy receivers to come back off the bye to be able to utilize them up to their ability. See, Lamb had the big game right before the bye. Really unfortunate, but they got to be careful with Dak Prescott with all the injuries that he's had coming back from that big one from last year. They got to be careful with him. So if he has a setback like that, he's going to have to sit and we may have to play this thing again next week, but they're both wide receiver threes. If you don't have better options, you play them, but they're not must starts for me. Not with Cooper Rush, a quarterback. Elliott was already my RB three. I don't think I'm going to move him up from that, but you have to love Ezekiel Elliott. Tony Pollard might get moved up in my ranks. He might become a flex play for me with the news about Cooper Rush, because again, it's gonna be kind of I think it's gonna be kind of similar to the Green Bay Packers. We saw Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon how involved they were in the offense due to necessity. It's gonna be very similar here, I believe. So we might see Pollard get a little bit more involved. He might be a flex play. Dalton Schultz, I did have a top 10 tight end. He'll he'll come outside of my tight end once. I think you, of all the people that you have to bench, especially, especially if Michael Gallup gets activated in this game, I think Dalton Schultz is somebody you're gonna you're gonna to have to find a better option for if Cooper Rush is gonna be the quarterback. So start to get out there, look around, see what's available to you. That really throws a whole whammy into the fantasy analysis for the Dallas Cowboys. On the Minnesota side, it also affects them too, right? Dalvin Cook is my number two running back. Of course, that gets more concrete because now Minnesota is in a nice spot to possibly win this game. Kirk Cousins, my QB 10, mostly due to the fact that I was expecting a back and forth game script. Believe it or not, this might make me take Kirk Cousins outside of my top 12 potentially. The reason would be this is because now Minnesota's in a, in a spot where, with Cooper Rush a quarterback, they could wind up not only taking the lead early, but maintaining a couple-score lead for the majority of this game. In which case, more Mora, Dalvin Cook, and Kirk Cousins will be limited in his opportunities, not to mention it's a primetime matchup. We know Cousins doesn't perform in primetime matchups to begin with. Now, he'll have a lot of pressure off his shoulders if Dak's not going to play, But that QB 10 top performance, I don't know if we definitively get that this week. Antonio Brown officially being rolled out. We were kind of just waiting for that news to come through. So Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, though, doesn't affect them. Jefferson's my wide receiver seven. Adam Thielen, my wide receiver 20. I do think if anybody digs is probably going to follow Jefferson around, but because he's trying to go for these turnovers, trying to go for these interceptions, the big plays can still be had. It doesn't bother me at all when it comes to Jefferson. He's still a top 10 wide receiver for me. You're playing them with confidence. And Tyler Conklin's a tight end 14. So he's a streaming option. Matter of fact, now that I look at this, when I switch around these rankings, I might have Tyler Conklin ranked their head of Dalton Schultz now with this news. But he's a streaming out. Cowboys are terrible against the tight end. And Conklin has been involved since his big game, and he hasn't been big fantasy performance really since, but he's still been seeing five, six-plus targets in a given matchup, and I've said this before. The thing is, is, it goes back and forth between Conklin and K.J. Osborne as far as who that third pass catcher is going to be on a week-in, week-out basis. This game kind of sets up for it to be Conklin and not K.J. Osborne, given how bad the Cowboys are with the tight end position. So I think he's got a chance for a touchdown. He is a streaming option for me uh, this week. Let's talk about betting this game. The line has moved to minus two minus two 2.5 for the Minnesota Vikings. If you can hop on that right now, I would. With the news about Cooper Rush coming out as the quarterback, hop on Minnesota minus 2.5 is a lock bet. It's a lo- Cooper Rush is terrible. I, I can't I can't strongly illustrate that point enough. This is not a backup that comes in and gives the Cowboys a shot to win. The only way the Cowboys can win this game now is if Ezekiel Elliott just completely dominates the game and puts the Cowboys on his back and wills them to a victory. That's the only way they win this game now. So hop all over the minus two and a half on the Vikings while you still can because I expect that line to move probably within the next hour. Probably within the next hour. So hop on that right now if you possibly can. Let's move to the Monday night game. So Giant players finally coming back somewhat uh, Kadarius Tony out there in individual drills today. That's the first time he's been able to do that all week. Still waiting on some more updates for the injury report. Uh, Cause Joe judge did say earlier that he was expecting Saquon, Kenny Galladay, all of them to try to get some, a little bit more practice reps in. They've been working off to the side, which I guess is an improvement from what it had been the past couple of weeks, which was doing absolutely nothing. And today he was expecting them to try to get a little bit of work in to the point where it sounded like he was expecting them to be listed as limited participants in practice. Remember, with this being the Monday night game, they still have their practice tomorrow, which would technically be like a Friday practice. So they have that extra day here for them to try to make their way back. So we'll keep our eyes on that. So we'll give you an analysis from both ways. If Saquon plays, he is an RB10 from this week. You love the match against Kansas City. The Giants are gonna have to score points. I know the Chiefs only put up three points against the Tennessee Titans. I Hard for me to believe we're going to see a repeat performance of last week against this Giants team. Hard for me to believe. So I think I have to put up points. He'll be involved in the passing game. He is an RB10 for me if he plays. If he doesn't play, Devontae Booker will be a volume-based RB2 like he has been over the past couple of weeks because he has a chance to score a touchdown, and he'll get all the volume, especially in the passing game. So that's the analysis there. Kenny Galladay. He'll be a wide receiver three if he is, in fact, able to go, regardless of the status of the other wide receivers. Sterling Shepard's the one who seems like he has the best chance all of on of the play because he actually came back in a limited participant yesterday off the setback of the hamstring injury he had last week, but he sounds like he's still ahead of these other guys as far as his recovery goes. So Shepard I actually do have ranked right now at wide receiver 38. If he goes, he is a... PPR half point PPR, you know, high floor volume based play. We know he'll get targeted over and over and over again by Daniel Jones, especially with the expected game script heading into this matchup. So you like that for Shepard. He might even move up my rankings as soon as I get you know official word about him being activated. And if Kadarius Tony's not going to play, Kenny Galladay's not going to play, Shepard will be the number one wide receiver in that scenario. Darius Slayton is somebody that I'm going to be very interested to see where I wound up moving him in my rankings depending upon what's going on. If Tony doesn't play and Golly doesn't play, even if Shepard lines up, Slayton will be the main perimeter wide receiver. He's in a nice spot here, in a nice matchup to get a big play. He'll get he'll have a ton of volume in his own right. Shepard might get double-digit targets, but Slayton might be right behind him with seven or eight targets of his own. If they all weren't to play, Slayton would be probably you know a high-end wide receiver three, wide receiver two for me. Because he'll only have the expected volume in a matchup, which he'll have to throw again. So Slayton is somebody that I'm keeping my eye on. Is somebody You might want to plug and play this week depending upon who is available. Now if Galladay's back and Shepard's back and Tony's back, then no, I don't really want to play Slayton. But if one or two of those guys miss, he will be a, a wide receiver four or wide receiver three at the very least for me in this matchup. So a lot of that's going to depend upon how this thing's going to play out. Evan Ingram is still just a mid-level tight end, too. Tight end 17. Last week was his best you know, box score performance, and it still wasn't that impressive. And if just one of these guys comes back, and he loses a little bit more volume, he has an incredibly low floor. I hope they trade Evan Ingram. I hope they free Evan Ingram. But it's just clear, they don't want to use this guy. And I don't care about the matchup. I don't care about the injuries. I'm not expecting a big performance on Evan Ingram this week. No, I didn't skip over Daniel Jones. He is my QB 13. And thats I think he's going to be my QB 13. He's going to be a high-end streaming option regardless of what options are healthy or not. And the reason would be this. In this game, he'll have a high-volume passing, but I expect him to run. I expect Daniel Jones to use his legs. We've seen that happen in the past. This is a good situation for that to happen again this week. So I think it's a very good chance we see Jones run around out there. And of course, on the chief side of the ball, there's not much to talk about. Mahomes is the top three quarterback. Tyree is my number two receiver. Travis Kelsey, is my number one tight end. Again, I cannot illustrate enough. Don't worry about last week. It was very self-inflicted. Yes. The Kansas City chief offense has not looked like itself. They got to figure out something going on with the play calling. That's where the source of the issues are. Whether it's Andy Reid or Eric B whatever's going on over there, they got to get back to playing Kansas City chief football. They don't motion. They don't really scheme you know, go out of their way to scheme mismatches for Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey as they have in years past. And that's really the source of the issues. Now, you do have things like Mahomes holding on to the ball much longer than he used to for whatever reason. You have Tyreek Hill dropping the ball more so than he ever normally does. But the source comes back to the play calling. I think there's a decent chance Monday night and a nice match against the New York Giants. It it does set up to be a get-right game for the Kansas City Chiefs. It does. And I expected I expect I expected to. I think the real question is Darrell Williams. Everyone's like, well, what do you do with Darrell Williams? How is this any different than Clyde Edwards alaire when his usage was wildly inconsistent from week to week? How is it any different? Darrell Williams is an RB two. He's my RB17 on the week. You're playing him. Unlike Clyde Edwards Lair, at least he has the upside of getting touchdowns. But he's the majority ball carrier. You like the matchup. I'm not scared off of Darrell Williams. Again, this goes back to the whole, everyone's putting a little too much emphasis on the Tennessee defense and the Kansas City Chief offense after last week. A little too much of that emphasis going on right now. You're playing him, and I'm not thinking twice about it. As far as betting this game goes, Kansas City is minus nine and a half. Now, I'll always illustrate this point. The data will tell you that betting against Kansas City on the spread is nine times out of 10 the way to go. And I'm not going to say otherwise. With the way their offense has played, I do think taking the Giants at plus nine and a half is the good bet. I'll feel a lot better about it if I know at least, you know, Shepard's back healthy and Saquon's back healthy. They have a few more of their options back. But the bet, the data will tell you, bet the Giants at plus nine and a half. The over-under at 52 and a half. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go near that We still need to see Kansas City get right offensively before I start betting overs or unders for their games but I do think the Giants plus nine and a half is the bet to make in this one. So guys, guess what time it is now The mail's here. Remember, if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment, all you got to do, hit us up on social media at BillyUpMDFFShow. Send us a DM. We'll answer all of your questions. Or if you ask us throughout the show, you know, comment in throughout the show, we'll get to them then too. I'll pick out a few of my favorite ones, but we'll answer them all and make sure that we're helping you guys out in your matchups. The first question up for today, Yonda asked me, Emmanuel Sanders or Chase Claypool? I do have Sanders ranked a few spots ahead in this one. He's been very good in the red zone. He has a base four for volume. With Dawson Knox out, that helps Cole Beasley and that helps Emmanuel Sanders out quite a bit as far as what their expected volume could be. Chase Claypool, dealing, still dealing with a little bit of an injury. I do expect him to be good to go there. But Ben Roethlisberger has eyes for Deontay Johnson. Claypool doesn't have the big play ceiling quite as much because Ben's just not throwing that ball down the field hardly ever. So I think you go with Emmanuel Sanders here, but it's close. Either way, I don't think you can really make a wrong decision in this instance, but I'm leaning towards Sanders. Don, another Emmanuel Sanders question. Don asked me, Emmanuel Sanders or Tyler Lockett? Again, close. They're both in that wide receiver three range for me, but right now I think you have to trust Josh Allen and Emmanuel Sanders, what he's been doing over the past few weeks, more so than Geno Smith and Tyler Lockett, even though Lockett's going to have the better matchup on paper this week. So I think you have to go with Sanders there. And again, too, there, Don. Benny asked me trade Patterson and AJ Brown for Jamar chase. So this is a trade that I think I don't think there's a loser in this deal. that's, That's the main thing. I don't think there is a loser in this deal. Patterson, AJ Brown for Jamar chase. I think is about as fair as it gets. I think it really just is dictated by what do you need? Do you need another running back so, therefore, you give up Jamar Chase to get back a wide receiver one, because A.J. Brown, I do think, has turned the corner, and I think the rest of the season will be the wide receiver one we wanted him to be. And you get a guy who's playing like an RB1, at the very least, as I've said before, is an RB2 with his usage trending in the right direction and his role not going anywhere, being the most important factor for Ricardo Patterson. And on the other hand, you get you know an elite top three wide receiver, because that's what Jamar Chase is playing like right now. He's been He's been phenomenal. So I don't think there's a loser in this deal. I think it depends on what it is you're looking for. You're looking for more of the upside that Jamar Chase provides you right now as an elite wide receiver one. Or do you need a lower end wide receiver one and the running back? But not a loser in that deal. Very fair deal there Benny. So either way, it depends on that. Kurt, I was offered Patterson. Another Patterson trade. I was offered Patterson for Mixon straight up. Should I say yes or no? Say yes. What are you kidding me? Look, I know how great Patterson has been, but Patterson is still a guy who is very dependent on the volume he gets. Mike Davis is still involved, and after the comments of Arthur Smith this week, it sounds like he's making a point to say Mike Davis isn't going anywhere either. I wish he would, but he's not. Mixon is a guy you know is getting 20-plus carries, is frustratingly only sometimes involved in the passing game, but he's the workhorse back on a good offense, by the way, if you haven't been watching Cincinnati Bengals lately. And I think this trade has more to do with this. Samaja Perrine being the flavor of the week for everybody. Because everybody's worried after last week, oh, is this turning into more of a committee? Is is Samaja Perrine and Joe Mixon now going to be in a a 60-40 split? No. Did you, this is where I go back to people need to watch these games, get game pass, go back and watch these games. Cause all you get caught up in is these box scores. You don't pay attention to utilization reports. You don't actually watch these games. And then I get stuck with these stupid narratives throughout the week. Samaja Perrine didn't get his work until the fourth quarter when the game was well in hand, for the Cincinnati Bengals. Keep in mind, Joe Mixon, a couple weeks removed from that ankle injury. So if they could take it easy on him, they will. Would I be surprised this week if Samaja Perrine had, you know, eight to 10 carries because the New York Jets and I expect the Bengals to, ha- to handle this very well? No, I wouldn't. I guarantee you that usage wouldn't come until the very end of the game when the game would be well in hand. Joe Mixon's a workhorse back. The only thing Samaja Perrine does that negatively affects Joe Mixon on a consistent basis rest of season is the unfortunateness of the fact that he seemingly has taken over the Giovanni Bernard role and is. Just a bit annoying when it comes to Mixon's workload in the passing game. That part, yes, that I think he does affect Mixon on a week to week basis on. He shouldn't, but it seems like Zach Taylor's using that as a way to give Mixon breathers without having to just pull him out here and there. Is getting him less involved in the pass game. It's mind boggling to me because Mixon is just he's the best pass catcher. He's the best running back. Probably and I think he's still the best offensive player they have, even with Jamar Chase. But this is not a committee. I can't stress that enough. Mixon's usage actually gives him more of a stable pattern for his RB1 value than Cordell Patterson. So yeah, Kurt, pull the deal. Pull the trigger on that deal. I don't know why you're even asking this question. Do it. But I want to put that question in there because I do think it's illustrating uh, a misconception that's out there right now for a Joe Mixon and what that situation is going to be like. So that's why I wanted to th- add that here. That's going to do it for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Remember, we'll be back tonight from 6 to 7.30 on the Unhinged Radio Network at unhingesn.airtime.pro. We'll be back again later tonight at 9 p.m. back live on social media at Belly Up MDFF Show or on the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel with our MD's DFS DraftKings lineup cards that Chris and I will talk about, our free contest that we do, which you'll be able to sign up for. We'll have it in the comments. We posted it once out on social media. We'll post it out again throughout the weekend. And, of course, our lock bets of the week with Mr. Chaz Filarty, who is the one who gives us the prizes for the MD's DFS contest, which is if you win, you get one free week of easy sports betting data. You get your name eligible for the monthly giveaway of a championship football. It's really a beautiful football. But it's a championship football from championshipfootballs.com, owned by Mr. Chaz Filarty. And this is the last week for October. And I won the first two weeks. So we have two contestants right now that are actually eligible you can be the third and have a decent chance to win your prize if you actually sign up and play. So make sure you do that. We'll post it out a few times. And later on tonight, I'll tell you where to go to get that link and we'll give you our analysis on what our draft lineup cards are going to be. So everybody make sure you're following us along, go to your favorite pod streaming app, download and subscribe. And we'll see you guys later on today.